Good evening, everybody. My name is Shad, and this is the Four Corners Wrestling Podcast on the Pit Podcast Network. I want to say thank you all for joining us tonight. I'm joined again by Matt and Brad. Here, we'll take up three of the Four Corners. You'll be in the fourth. We hope to hear from you at the end of this. Uh, Leave comments, suggestions, whatever you like. I also want to go ahead and give a little shout-out, even though it's not sponsored. Happen to be wearing a collar and elbow shirt. Uh, collar and elbow, supporting local indie wrestlers all over the country. Um, what I have is one of their mirror Im- image shirts. It's black on heather gray. It's super comfortable, and the guys that run the that run the company are just great stand-up guys. And with that, uh, Matt, unless you want to give that that shout out again. <laughs> to Epico Cologne. To Epico hashtag Epico Cologne. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know what his Twitter account is, but let's uh, let's let's make sure to get that next time. I'll look that up, and uh, okay. I'll, uh, I'll well, we can tweet at him. We don't, we don't have like an official Twitter for this. No, we, um, we don't. Podcast. Maybe we can uh, figure that out, <laughs> and then just I'll put it on the Instagram. Yeah, and the only person we should follow is Epico. And, and just just tweet exclusively at him until you know he notices. All right, I think that's a fantastic plan. So tonight we're going to look back into history, take out our crystal ball, and use it to look backwards. Because one thing that's always been big in wrestling is not just the idea of what kind of spectacle is the show itself. But to bring in people famous from outside of that world, bring them in and have them participate as well. I don't think we'll get to William Shatner promoting Robo Wars tonight, but we have plenty of other options. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get us started off with one of, not the, but one of the first big names that caused a big splash whenever he came over. I want to talk about Mr. T who was involved in WrestleMania one. And I'm going to sit back. I'm going to let you guys drive for a little while. Well, I think, um, I think before we start, we should note that we're going to be talking about, uh, celebrities who come into the world of uh, professional wrestling, even if it's just for a, a brief period of time. But I think, I think what we had in mind specifically wasn't necessarily, um, mixed martial artists. I don't think that was any of our thought process going into this because if you go down that road, there's plenty of people who've crossed over from MMA into actually being active wrestlers or who've done wrestling at, like actual wrestling and then gone into MMA and then come back. No, like that's Ken, a good point. Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn, uh, Don Fry. Like there's Josh down, yeah, Josh Barnett, and that's that's going back years. Let alone like now. Obviously, there's Ronda Rousey, Brock Lesnar, yeah, yeah, Brock Lesnar. So that's not quite what we're thinking, but we're thinking that's more like point. actual celebrities or legitimate sports athletes that are not in the kind of like the combat sports. Although there is a couple, I think we do have like a couple combat sport people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Brad, I don't know if you have any. Go, we, go ahead. We also limited this to them actually getting in the ring instead of just like appearing in wrestling because that's a whole can of worms I don't think anyone wants to go down. Yeah, no, that the guy that I can't even remember who it was that appeared on Piper's Pit once and then Piper went after him with a uh, 
with a oh, fire Warden. extinguisher. And that Warden was like, Jr.? Yeah, yeah, that was... It's it's like, okay, there's not really a whole lot to talk about that, except Roddy Piper's awesome, so we're going to leave that stuff out. But that's a good point. Thanks for clearing that up, Matt. Yeah, so Mr. T, Brad, I don't know if you have anything specific you want to start off with. Um, I guess in one way, he, he wasn't obviously in the main event of WrestleMania 1, uh, but he... Which, how much credit would you, or Shad, you can even uh, jump into, how much credit would you give him for kind of making WrestleMania as hugely successful as it was? Because people kind of forget that when WrestleMania, now, we, we kind of lose uh, track of history since WrestleMania has been in existence now 34 years. <laughs> but when it first came out, um, it was basically a gamble. Like, no one, no one really knew if that sort of pay-per-view of, in that sort of manner would actually be successful. And uh, McMahon, I think, even put a lot of his own financial backing into the show. And if it had flopped, it, he would have been in real trouble. But Yeah, much- it, was, it, it came at the end of a series. Uh, McMahon was, had tried to do a series of closed-circuit uh, viewing events for stuff like Evil Knievel jumping over the Grand Canyon or something, and they didn't work. They kept bombing. But now, what we had with WrestleMania was him going to his wheelhouse and trying to create, you know, a big spectacle different than Starcade because Starcade was like the big show. But and I can't. Mania probably came first, but whereas Starcade was more self-contained, it was the big wrestling show for the company. Mania was meant from the very beginning to be this media crossover thing. Starcade started in 83, I believe, but the whole closed circuit TV thing is kind of a weirder timeline. Yeah. I was going to add to what you're saying about his other McMahon's other early failures is don't forget that they totally bombed on TBS. And this happened like a month after they lose. No, this happens, I think, almost concurrently with them getting booted off of TBS. Mm. Right, because they were going on to TBS. Uh, they were taking the place of the the Southern style stuff that had been running on TBS, if I remember correctly. They took over for Georgia. Mm. Okay, yeah. So how much... Um credit would you give the, the the actual success to this main event with Mr. T? I think I think between this and, and one other person who was part of this show that I know we're going to talk about uh, also on this podcast tonight, uh, how much credit would you give? Because it seems like that sort of huge cross prom, uh, kind of cross media promotion surrounding the celebrities that were involved with this, I think was huge. Um, but I'm, I kind of, I honestly forget exactly how Mr. T got involved with this. Was it, is it directly because of his, his role and performance in, uh, Rocky three, which also starred Hulk Hogan? Is that how they got connected? And I've got the Wikipedia article in front of me. Um, Mr. T started to rise to prominence in 1980. There was an America's toughest bouncer competition with Sly Stallone, apparently, but, he, you know, he didn't come in to wrestling until '85. So, you know, we get. We also have to bear in mind that <clears throat> at the time, so much of media, you know, there weren't as many channels, and so people who made it big were 
basically known on a wider scale. So you had Mr. T, who was Clover Lang in Rocky Three, and B.A. Baracus on the A-Team. You know, people knew who this was. I think <clears throat> I think it needs to be said, though, for people that were not alive during this era, Mr. T was gigantic. I think he even yeah. had a breakfast cereal, if I'm he not mistaken. Did. He did. Yeah, had... he, he was almost ubiquitous in the 1980s. He was uh, hugely popular. I don't... How... What kind of modern celebrity could you equate it with? It's hard to say because I don't feel people get that same um, juice to them that they used to. Yeah. It's it's different, but, you know, if... <sighs> the first thing that pops to mind for me, it would be like every most everybody knows George Clooney's name right now. If you take that, but magnify it you get kind of more of an idea of how popular mr t was mr t was so popular that the dude made a motivational video called be somebody or be somebody's fool where he teaches kids not to drink beer and smoke cigarettes that other kids just pulled out of the trash can i mean you know we're talking You had to have some clout in order to get away with that. And his career didn't die after it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it would be something along the lines of, like, one of the Avengers. That's that's kind of a weird analogy, but it's like, if you should, those movies are so popular nowadays that most people, even if you don't know who, you know, say, like, Robert Downey Jr. was as an actor before he became, he was Iron Man. Like, nowadays, people see Tony Stark... The, the, well, Robert Downey Jr., like the face of Tony Stark, and they're like, "Oh yeah, like I know that." It's it's almost he had kind of that cro- that tr- tremendous kind of cultural uh, significance back in the day. Like people people knew who he was, obviously. Yeah. Because, I mean, he obviously had a distinct look too. Sure. Um, there wasn't a lot of you know really big built uh, African American gentlemen wearing a mohawk who pitied the fool. Yeah, who had his own unique little catchphrases, but yeah, he was um, he was huge in the eighties. I remember I, when I was a little kid, I watched the A Team, and <laughs> it wasn't until years later I saw um, Rocky Three. But yeah, he was a big deal. He had yeah. a cartoon too, I believe. I vaguely Mr. remember Mr. T that. and the T Force. Because I remember, I don't remember the show. I remember the van they drove around in. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I years. This is kind of like a sidebar. I know we're kind of uh, <laughs> stepping away from the subject in hand in a way, but um, it's it's so fun watching uh, Rocky Three as an adult. Because when I was a kid, and I I I'm 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 old enough that I know I know the Rocky films uh, quite well, but I'm not so old that I, I watched them live or anything like that. <laughs> but watching, I, I I saw them when I was a kid, like on syndication, or like you know, it come on like. Uh, Oh, TBS played those. Yeah, they oh, they yeah. came on like basic cable back in the day when I was a kid, so I watched them. But it's so fun watching watching them as like an adult because um, you catch things that are in in some respects like hilarious. Like his whole interaction, especially when he's calling out Rocky, um, yeah. is hilarious, and he's like taunting uh, Adrian. It's like, hey woman, yeah. hey woman, why don't you come over here and be with a real man? Yeah. <laughs> I, I believe hysterical. the catchphrase came from came from Rocky Three, where it said, "I don't hate Balboa, but I pity the fool." I think that's where it came from. 
But, he was uh, really he was really brilliant in Rocky Three. Sure, uh, he was. Frightening. I think he was. I think he was supposed to be like a, a George Foreman XP in in the way that he fought and how he moved and stuff. I would agree with that. So <clears throat> I okay. So I know I've seen a lot of the TV from this time, but I don't remember the T the the Mr. T stuff very well, unfortunately. So I don't know how he got involved. I know Piper was running his mouth a lot at the time, so I'm imagining that's how it happened. And I know at the time they were kind of selling Hogan as this kind of, I don't know, New York icon, you know, nightlife kind of guy. He, he was he was the real American brother. So I now, I mean, I've seen the main event. And I think Mr. T was OK in it. From what I remember, it wasn't it wasn't bad like his boxing match with Piper. Mm-hmm. But there was the 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 boxing match with Piper was a whole. I think there was a whole like mess with that where he didn't want to cooperate. But I could be re- misremembering that. <laughs> I think I had heard uh, some back behind the scenes stories from from Meltzer that yeah it, it was supposed to. He, he wasn't cooperating. He was supposed to be doing a, kind of working with Piper a lot more to kind of plan how they're going to do it. And he was kind of blowing things off. Um, partly, I think, the the way it was intimated, I think, is because he didn't want to be kind of exposed as not, you know, not really a real boxer who was capable of doing something in the ring because his mystique was kind of as, like, yeah someone who had something of a legit background or at least presented as such and... He was afraid he was going to look stupid, or Piper would go into business for himself. Um, so that that boxing match wasn't it wasn't as entertaining as it should have been. But it's I I feel it's not. I had to look at it again. I I didn't feel it was as terrible as it should have been. It wasn't great, but it had it, some moments. It, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of the guys in the back didn't really care for Mr. T. For you know, here they are. They're having like the biggest show ever, and he just kind of walks in and he's in the main event with Hogan. Well, the rest of them are like, gee, I've only been doing this for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm I'm like third on the card or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. You kind of you kind of just went to New York to get your big paycheck and dog it, though, is kind of how it worked in the 80s. Uh, it cuts you off from that big paycheck, too. But yeah, in any event, um, I now I will say. As far as his effect on the card, I think it was a big deal, but I think the other person that we're going to talk about had a bigger overall impact on it because there is a whole package that came along with her. And by association with her, Lou Albano, I think, also deserves a lot of credit for the success of this show. Let's maybe we should go ahead and talk about her in in as we're talking about Mr. T since we're talking basically about the same wrestling show. But one feeds before, into the other. Let's do it. And well, this is before, also another person that, if you weren't in the 80s, you don't know how big she was for a short period of time. <laughs> right. But before we move on to her, and I, I hate to um, digress because uh, I know we're trying to roll with the flow here, but uh, how? let's just give kudos to the, the late great Roddy Piper. I don't think that that main event could have worked quite as well with anyone else other than him. Um, yeah. In that role, because that was when he was just, you know, hitting on all cylinders as, as like a heel or as a an overall personality. And I thought his um, going back and forth with Hogan and, and Mr. T and that whole 
that whole feud leading up to the match was just tremendous. Oh, I, yeah. I also think, um, and I know they were paired together, but having Bob Orton Jr. in there was really a smart move because he really is an underrated, like just master technician of wrestling. Mm-hmm. So to have him in there with, you know, a celebrity is pretty smart because he's probably one of the best guys there that was a heel that you to walk someone through a match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes yeah. You're absolutely right. So, should probably just go ahead and talk about that other that other celebrity. Well, what would the name be? <laughs> Brad, you want to? Well, so this one does break our rule a little bit, but she was highly involved at the time. Like she managed more than just a match. So, Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper. Girls just want to have fun. Um. Let me look. Hang on. I like her more for her smash hit, Goonies Are Good Enough. <laughs> <laughs> and you're laughing, but I really do absolutely love that song. <laughs> I watched Goonies 20,000 times as a child. <laughs> and that was I always loved that movie and that song. Oh, that, just, just a different time. That really is... Um, my niece loves that movie, so there's something timeless about that. But mm-hmm. so let's let's talk about Cindy Lauper. Um, she was a big part of that whole rock and wrestling thing. She's a big reason, you know, they got MTV coverage. And I think more so than Mr. T, she really made them seem relevant and cool. And why she makes this list is because she did actually manage Wendy Richter for a couple months. Not just that match. Like there is, I've seen some TV with her managing. I believe she was managing her when she lost to. Um, Lilani Kai to set up this match. She had um, some televised like back and forth with Roddy Piper. Yeah, um, and just overall, uh, her inter- her whole interaction did lead to. I know I was I mentioned before like the kind of the cross promotion with the different media outlets and different kind of avenues. Um, she was huge because yeah, the whole rock and wrestling connection. She was huge at the time in terms of her music career and her connections. Uh, I think were was it through her manager, I believe, uh, who I think yeah. he may have been her husband too, right? Dave Wolf was her boyfriend and manager at the time. Yeah, I think he was uh, key in kind of brokering a deal, and we actually, I think it may have only been like one show, but they actually had WWF, because that's what it was at the time, WWF programming on MTV. Um, didn't they air that? Like, I think it was, they aired at least one show, if I'm not They wrong, did, I believe. Right? I think it might yeah, have been that and, show where she lost the belt to Kai, but I'm not sure. Yeah, and people, again, if you have to maybe have to realize the times people who were not born in the 80s or maybe were born uh, in sort of the late 80s they don't realize that mtv when it started up this was like mid 80s too when wrestlemania one's coming out so in that time since it started like what 80 81 um between then and 85 it was gigantic it, it was kind of this huge cultural force it's not you know the show that what it became later on where they don't even show music videos. It's all just jackass or whatever they have on now. And, and she put the wrestlers in her music videos. Yeah. And which was a huge, um, 
It was a, a big deal. deal. Yeah, that was, and that was uh, back then. I mean, music videos. I guess nowadays everything's on YouTube. So if you have you know three hundred million people watch your video on YouTube, you're doing a lot, doing really great. But back then, obviously that wasn't in existence. So it was based upon you know people were watching music video on MTV and. When she was throwing wrestlers in there, you're talking about millions of people worldwide uh, seeing people like Roddy Piper or Captain Lou Albano, uh, <laughs> Nikolai Volkov. Who was 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 that Piper or was it Freddie Blassie that was the um, evil tycoon trying to shut down their gas station or whatever in the Goonies video? I think it was Blassie, wasn't it? I'm trying to remember. I haven't seen it in a long time. All I really remember is um, they're going to lose and they summon demon Andre the Giant to chase them away. What? Yeah, You've never I got, seen it's the weird. Two-part music no. video? Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I've only seen the Goonies like once, <sighs> ever. Oh, my God, Chad. Uh, you, you have to look up. When, you, when you're done with this podcast, look up the music video. Goonies are good enough. It's a two-parter. And it pretty much just has like a metric crap ton of like wrestlers in it. Chad, where 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 do you live again? Kentucky. Yeah. I'm gonna draw. I'm gonna get in the car after this podcast <laughs> with my Blu-ray copy of Goonies, and we're gonna we're gonna watch that all night long. We're gonna, they, however long it takes to get there. Do they yeah, have the music videos get, and extra? Sometime tomorrow, then. Yeah, I think we. All right, we'll have all day. We'll watch Goonies 800 times, as you already should have in your life. <laughs> It just never, never worked out that way. It's one of those things. I have this weird um, phenomenon that's happened in my life. It's like there are some movies that people are, are like, oh, I watched that a million times. I was like, I saw like 10 minutes of it on TV once over and over and over again growing up. So and then you get to some of them in like you know, mid late 90s and it's still that way. And then after that, it's just I just didn't want to watch them. But you know, you know who's a big Goonies fan? Epico Cologne. <laughs> you're you're embarrassing us in front of our pro wrestling icon. Is uh is the music video on the Blu-rays an extra? Uh, it actually might be. It was I, on I the DVD to, way back in the day. It might be. Oh, I'd have oh to God. I'd have to pull it out and see. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So, oh man. So she managed. She so she she never wrestled, but I felt with her level of involvement past just a WrestleMania appearance that Cindy Lauper deserved mention in this list just because of her. You know, you manage her on like just regular like championship wrestling, a, a special and a pay per view, and you do some events before that. I looked it up, and she had a good like five or six months worth of involvement with them. Oh wow! I think she's a That's... Hall of Famer. Too. I think she is. I think you're right. Okay, what I'm going to do now is I'm actually going to bring us forward in time a little bit to something a little more recent. <clears throat> um, just because I don't want people tuning out and thinking, you know, we're just going to, I'm going to skip the first half of this because I'm not going to know what the hell's going on because I'm too young or I didn't watch back then. <clears throat> Here more recently, we had a, oddly enough, another boxing tie in. Another WrestleMania match with a celebrity tie-in, because that's when they usually happen, where we had the big show face off with Floyd Mayweather at WrestleMania. Now, that was, uh, there's, there's 
odd stories building up to it, which include Mayweather breaking Big Show's nose and then running for his life when he sees the look on Show's face after he does it. But um, what do you guys think? How's that as a uh, crossover? It okay. So I have to admit, I remember when this happens, but happened, but I have no recollection of any of this. Like as far as what happened um, in the ring or storyline wise. Okay, Matt, uh, I I can TLDR it a little bit, but. Um, the um, basically, I can't remember what brought him in, but Mayweather. Big Show was doing the um, doing his, you know, punch thing. I think is how it kind of got started. Yeah, okay. I think, I think, yeah, he Big Show had taken a step away from wrestling for a brief period. I forget exactly why. I think he was legit resting some injuries, right? I think it was one Problem. of his many bouts with um, his weight before he finally kind of figured that out. Yeah, and he was... I it, it actually did go through some sort of legit boxing training. Um, so when he was, was brought back, he was kind of working this gimmick of uh, punching people. Uh, yeah, and the... it's, it's believable because he has fists that are as big as most people's heads. Um, and... I believe there was some sort of storyline. I'm this is this happened like ten years ago, so my memory's a little fuzzy. Okay. But I think there was I just pulled a, it up. I think there was a storyline where he uh, injured Rey Mysterio. Um, yeah, I there was. Uh, I can't recall if that was the infamous one where he like strapped him to a he, where Ray was strapped to the board and he like tossed him into the the ring post. Was that the same? time i don't know i I pulled up uh, a reference to look at it real quick and apparently this was february 2008 at the no way out pay-per-view in las vegas yeah and then mayweather was like in the crowd uh i I think they showed him you know oh it's floyd mayweather hey floyd mayweather's here yeah enjoying wwe programming um and when show injured ray uh he like jumped out and was uh, you know trying to defend Ray. So obviously, you know, anytime someone jumps the fence and security doesn't immediately tackle them, uh, it's all an angle. So then you unless, unless it's Gronk, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So and then that of course led to the match. Like if you're asking how exactly Floyd Mayweather became involved just as a deal to have a match, like I I don't know. It seemed like uh, they always went looking for someone to, someone famous to have a, a mania thing with Big Show because Big Show's like, well, you know, what the hell, I don't care. I, th- you know. I think, I think this was like when the UFC was really catching some fire, mm. and I'm thinking they were thinking they wanted to look good and pop a buy rate, which I think he did pop a pretty big buy rate for this. Was this um, the was this the same um. I didn't put him on the list, but was this the same pay-per-view with Donald Trump, or was that later? No, that was... That was like 2010, um, wasn't it? Which which WrestleMania was this one with, with Floyd? Uh, WrestleMania 24. Okay, I actually think uh, the one with Trump was the year before, right? Wasn't it 23? It was 23 or 22, I think. Well, I'm not sure Lashley. this was... 
I'm trying yeah. to know when Lashley came. Let me, let me, let me try. Oh, okay, yeah, I just looked it up. It's 23. Okay. And that, I think, I think might actually still hold the record for uh, most amount of money that they made off WrestleMania. Well, what I've I got... I could be wrong. Mania 24 is listed as grossing $23.8 million in revenue. Incidentally, the story I've got in front of me tells me that... Let me see. ESPN reported that Mayweather was paid $20 million for that, uh, for that showing. He probably was. Um, <clears throat> so what, what was... Was the match like a... Like, um... Was it like no a holds barred, oh, okay. no hold, no disqualification match, and Mayweather defeated Show uh, in a knockout with some brass knuckles. Well, at least that's plausible because <laughs> yeah. he doesn't knock out people in real life. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing I the thing I remember. Um, How many most... knockouts does he have? I need to look this up. Oh, I'd have to look it up too because it's not something that you can readily recall off the top of your head. Let's see, it's less than uh, ten, I'm... I think. Okay, total fights fifty, total wins fifty, knockouts by KO twenty-seven. So well, a little better than I thought. Huh. Uh, <laughs> I rem I remember the match kind of being like a mess. Um, the other thing I remember is that they tried, they totally tried to make. Uh, Mayweather the face in in this brief one month feud uh, because Big Show was the heel at the time mm -hmm. uh, but no one bought it because people realized that Floyd Mayweather really is a, 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 an actual piece of shit I mean he's a terrible human being Was it I'm, not, I'm not saying that because I'm not a fan of his style of boxing I mean he's a legit horrible human being Like Was he's it... he's been arrested for domestic violence against his wife and all sorts of other things so. did he go to jail for like Domestic violence against his father, too. I'd have to. I don't know about that. I have to. Maybe I could look that up real quick. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, let me see. That's one, two, three uh, convictions. Four, five. Yeah. So. And if if you ever read like um. Oh, it's the woman who he battered son, I think, talks about it. And it was it wasn't just like he beat her up like he had like people like stand at the door while he did it or something like it was really messed up and like really like you'd have to clarify mafia. which you'd mafia. have to clear you'd have to clarify which one, because, again, he's a horrible human being. He's done that to multiple women. I think yeah. the I think the most publicized one. OK. The one that I think he did time for. Let's see. So uh, what I have here is that he had. That would be, I think, Josie Harris. Uh, because they dropped it from felony battery to misdemeanor battery. <laughs> In any event, um, yeah, back, back to your point. It they weren't buying Big Show as the bad guy in this. Yeah, and I I vaguely rec I recall the the match just being a mess. I mean, it's you you probably always have to do something like that as like a, a big schmooze because Mayweather's not 
even you could probably train an, a, a regular actor or somebody like that to kind of do a decent match, but I don't think that's Mayweather's style, and he, he I, well, I, I don't think. Go ahead. It's it's a lot to ask a a person that depends on their body for their livelihood to put it at risk in ways they're not used to, and mm-hmm. so that. Um, like a certain other person on this list that might have been a boxer who almost had their leg amputated because a certain person kicked it repeatedly. Like, you don't want oh, that sort of thing yeah. to happen. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, Floyd Mayweather, he, he took home almost all of the, the gross for that event. But, uh... I think I remember that payoff at the time, and that was probably that was probably a pay cut for him. Still, that's that's pretty wild. Because I think I think people too don't remember like that second half of the two thousands, boxing was actually really hot with him and Manny Pacquiao on pay per view. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, I, I do remember that. That was it was interesting because boxing is making it was making it kind of a comeback in the middle of that when when it had been on the decline for a while. Okay, I'm gonna switch gears up again. I'm gonna think I'm gonna take us to um, go ahead and, and take us to one of well, one feeds into the other. We had someone who may or may not have been a boxer who may or may not have been kicked in the leg repeatedly, and I believe it's fair to say that we're talking about the uh, potentially the greatest, Muhammad Ali. Uh, Brad, why don't you take the lead on this one? So Muhammad Ali is an interesting one because if you go out there, there's obviously um, the Anoki matches where he gets kicked a bunch, but there's some other interactions with him in wrestling. So there's um there's a there's a YouTube clip out there you've probably seen it before where he gets in the ring with Gorilla Monsoon and gets an airplane spin, but then there's also an AWA taping where he does kind of the wrestler versus boxer thing against a couple of job guys to get ready for the Anoki match. So the Anoki match um, kind of came about because Anoki was kind of doing that shoot style stuff that he was into at the time, and this was probably his biggest accomplishment. So I think I've seen the match once, but it's not very memorable other than they kind of circle each other a lot, and Anoki pretty much just kicks him in the leg repeatedly for an hour. So what I understand is that there were, they had this, these things set up where they were going to be like, okay, here's what, here's what we're going to do. Like, there's going to be some, <clears throat> there's going to be some, uh, uh, rules governing this. And then they kept changing the rules right up until the, um, uh, right up until the actual match. So for this to, quote-unquote work in in Anoki's uh, way of looking at it is he kind of dropped the mat and kept kicking him. Interestingly, in in, uh, MMA training I've done, I have seen someone get not severe enough that they might have to get amputated, but I've seen someone's leg get absolutely eaten up with uh, low kicks to the, the shin and calf area to the point where, you know, uh, she drops out of the classes and, and is, you know, on crutches for three months because of the, you know, the fallout from it. 
Yeah, I had um, I had to look this up because I'd always heard about it. Um, but I had heard the context that I had heard it in was just like, oh, there was uh, supposed to be a boxer versus wrestler exhibition match between Ali and Inoki. Um, and people who don't who weren't really familiar with Antonio Inoki, he is one of the legit hugest uh, professional wrestlers in all of Japanese history. I mean, I don't. It's hard to even equate him in American uh, American terms, probably yeah. somewhat as huge as or as important to wrestling in Japan uh, as an American wrestler like Hulk Hogan or Ric Flair would be to American wrestling. It's there. Obviously, it's different styles, but and different personalities. Like I know he's far more serious than you know someone like Hogan, who is a kind of a caricature. But <laughs> well, he's um, kind of legit. Inoki's kind of legit, like crazy too. Yeah, like he's this, yeah he's kind of off. Um, but I had always heard that there this match occurred, but that it was you know quote quote unquote boring because you know he he did this he just fell to the mat and was largely kicking Ali and Ali didn't really know what to do so it was just several rounds of this. When I actually uh, recently because we were discussing what to, to talk about for this particular podcast and I I, I kind of decided well maybe I should um, read up on this again and see exactly what went on and I was shocked to see how serious it was. I mean, it's, it's, it is legitimate fact that Ali's uh, legs were so injured. At least one of his legs was so injured that they did, he got severe uh, blood clots in one and they were actually legitimately uh, contemplating having to get it amputated. And from what many people legitimately say that he, his boxing was never the same after that. He was never, he never quite had the foot speed that he did before this match. I should have looked it up because you've mentioned that I should have looked this up to when in relation to when he lost to Sphinx, because Sphinx is kind of when he was, you could tell he was done. If you, if you kind of followed that match, I think it was that match that, um, this, this did probably have an effect on it, but that there was a lot of things going on in that match that I think, uh, otherwise was affecting his health. Um, I think think that was, I honestly think that beating Foreman gave him in Africa is like what ended him. Yeah. Because remember, if if you watch that Foreman match, and they talk about that, the only thing that saved him in that match was the ropes being so loose that he could he could mm. lean on them. But Foreman gave him a beating in that fight. Well, they had um, he had that was the uh, the rumble in the jungle, and then um, after that you had. Uh, his fight with Frazier, the thrill in Manila, which was in 75. His bat, bout with Inoki was in June 76. So, and his bout with Leon Spinks was in 78. Oh, yeah. So there's there's definitely, uh, there's he, definitely he, a lead up to that. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he was coming out of his prime, I think you could say. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'll just add this too. This is a this will be my somewhat controversial statement for people who are boxing purists or not wrestling fans. Although, if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you're a wrestling fan. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> why listen to three three dudes talk about it? But um, people kind of forget uh, Muhammad Ali. In part, his career, obviously in terms of his actual physical capabilities was obviously all him. But in terms of people getting hyped to see him, um, his personality, all of that, 
he got that from professional wrestling. That's my that's my stance. But that's also something that he has effectively confirmed in interviews. Yeah. He was a wrestling fan back in the day when he was a very young man in the early 60s. He went and he saw and this is going really old school. Um, I remember that my grandmother, I had heard stories that my grandmother back in the day used to watch this guy wrestle on TV, but a uh, very classic wrestler, gorgeous George. He was kind George. of like, he was kind of like the prototype for like a Ric Flair, but he was someone who really kind of one of the, one of the first people to use like the gimmick because obviously wrestling was presented as something that was 100% legitimately real inside mm-hmm. the ring. But he had this whole persona where he would come out and like uh, kind of like the Ric Flair type flowing robe he had a like long blonde hair which he would have uh gold bobby pins in yep. his hair and he'd take it out and he'd throw it to the crowd he would have his manager um spray perfume that he was he would basically you know rile the crowd up saying i'm spraying this to get rid of the stench of all you people and they people, would spray the ring down before he came out yeah. I, I have a couple of his matches on a dvd somewhere actually yeah he had uh, who knows what his, I haven't seen him wrestle, so who knows what his actual like ability was in the ring? But p- from a person okay. from a personality standpoint, he was tremendous, and he got thousands of people to come uh, to his matches because they specifically wanted to see him get his ass kicked. And Ali is he quote he's quoted in an interview. He gave an interview at some point in his career where he said. You know, I saw a match with Gorgeous George and I took like exactly what he did. And I realized that the thing that I needed to do is I couldn't just be like a great uh, boxer. I needed to go out there and give uh, basically a persona and be really brash, be really arrogant, talk about how great I was, because I knew that if I did that, you know, people would be really hyped. They'd either they'd either like fall in love with me and love my, you know, my my confidence in my braggadocio or they'd absolutely hate me but either way they'd want to see me fight and he yeah. was absolutely right and he obviously developed this persona which uh, because of his talent you know he's he's you kind of overlook the persona in some respects but that was a big part of why he was successful is that people either wanted to see him get his ass kicked or you wanted you kind of bought into him as this like super confident guy who believe was firmly in in belief of his own abilities, but uh, yeah, he uh, he had some interaction with pro wrestling in terms of like him actually doing matches and or associating himself with it in that way, like the Inoki match. Sure, but he he also had you know his own ties to wrestling in other ways. Just it seems like he was kind of always a fan. There's um, a Sports Illustrated uh, article that said that he actually got to talk with uh, Gorgeous George at one point, mm-hmm. and supposedly the the quote is that George told him a lot of people will pay to see someone shut your mouth, so keep bragging, keep sassing, and be outrageous. Yeah, and he did it, and he uh, he made it work. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Obviously, arguably the greatest of all time. If if you're listening to this and you're interested, there is um a YouTube account called Chicago Film Archive. And it has probably has a good hundred or so matches from the nineteen fifties that took place in Chicago that probably aired on the Dumont network. And if you want to see a lot of those guys or see like Vern Ganya in his prime, uh, that's a good resource. It's a lot of matches in full and there is a gorgeous George match on there. 
Okay. And uh, also, now, it should be noted because this ties into what we talked about earlier. I believe um, Ali was the referee for the main event of WrestleMania One. Oh God! Yes, yeah, I forgot right. about that. Because remember, he swung at Piper Orton. That's right. He might not have been the ref. He might have been like a special enforcer that had like a referee shirt on. Ref shirt, yeah. Okay, now what I'm going to do, you mentioned the greatest of all time. I'm going to take us to what some people would consider the greatest famous crossover of all time, even if it didn't have the reach that some of these others did. You know, not responsible for making WrestleMania into what it is, but for God's sakes, to go back and watch some of his stuff, you would just be blown away by you know what he did and how good he was at it andy kaufman andy kaufman got involved with jerry lawler in the um oh i can't remember what he calls uswa is that right that's what came later um people just refer to it memphis but at this time it would have been the cwa okay well kate got involved in memphis and you know his first the first shtick was that he was the intergender champion, so he would he would wrestle against women. And I remember seeing the first time I became aware of this, seeing on Comedy Central the uh, documentary that they did on the topic and the stories that they had on it. And God bless them, they they played everything completely straight. Yeah. They never, like, nobody ever cracked a smile or winked at the camera or anything. They played it completely straight. So they told the story about the the gal that um, Kaufman faced that Lawler trained. And if, if she beat Kaufman, not only did she get the title, but Kaufman had to marry her and uh, all that kind of stuff. And, man, and, and um, the first time we were talking about this topic, Brad brought up the confrontation on Letterman even. I mean, that's that's a big deal for what mid late seventies, something like that. It was early eighties, um, but let's let's give a slightly more some background on this because um, again, people who aren't really familiar with Andy Kaufman, he was a comedian, um, kind of actor as well. He in the late seventies, he got uh, he was one of the first people who was kind of a regular on Saturday Night Live. I don't think he was an actual cast member. No, but he was just he, a regular. He made, yeah, he made several appearances on there. Um, I don't even, I'm not even sure if he did specific skits, but I know that he would occasionally do kind of um, comedy bits on there. Um, and he was someone who he was a weird dude. Uh, I don't, I don't know who to equate him with, kind of in modern day. But he, his there's really no his stuff, analog. He's I don't think there is. Call he, him more of a performance artist than a comedian in some ways. He would basically kind of do performance art. He would do what I would and I, I like this style of comedy. It's kind of it's not for everyone, but he would do what we kind of have come to know is anti comedy, which is basically you, you take something that either shouldn't be funny or it's only funny because it's kind of an awkward, weird situation or it's something that's completely mundane, but it's done with repetition to the point where it becomes kind of humorous. Then uh, that's where he would do kind of his own. He would do these famous bits where he would go out on what's supposed to be. He's supposed to do maybe like a, a comedy um, routine, and he would just pull out like Great Gatsby and just start reading it. Very and then people. he'd criticize people for interrupting him. Yeah, he'd be the like, people would be completely <laughs> confused. And wasn't, then wasn't by that the, his by alter the end ego or whatever? Um, uh, he did Tony have, Clifton. 
Yeah, I I don't. I'm, I maybe he, maybe he did that. It's Clint Cliffin. I do remember seeing him doing this just as himself. But oh yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. He would do this, and he was also also a part of the time from like late eighties into early. Sorry, late seventies into early eighties. He was on the the show Taxi, mm-hmm. which was a hugely successful sitcom in the day. I mean, it was like you know, the friends or the Seinfeld or something of its day. Like it was something to that effect, like a very, very successful. It launched like five pretty big careers. Yeah. yeah. So, he, and he was a very popular character on that. So he was someone who was kind of like with Mr. T. He was, he was definitely in the, the public consciousness as like a big star. And did and, lots of prank stuff too. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, here you you have him in the early '80s, and he starts this feud with a with a professional wrestler, Jerry the King Lawler. Wait, you know what's weird? Um, he showed up in the WW, I think it was WF at the time, in 1979 at like an MSG show, and they interviewed him, and he did this whole he did the whole spiel like for the the wrestling women thing, and then they never did anything with it, and then he kind of popped up in Memphis a couple years later with it. It was it was it was a really weird one-off that I've seen. I think it's on YouTube. I have the um, the Wikipedia article actually uh, remarks that um, it was the elder McMahon who didn't want to bring Kaufman's thing in. Um. So he, he took it elsewhere. Bill Apter was apparently made the connection uh, by of Kaufman to Jerry Lawler, but from what I'm reading. I think that worked out better for that for him in the long run because I don't think anyone else, um, especially in the WWF at the time, would have played off of him like Jerry Lawler could. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody was as pot- Lawler. We gotta take a second because some, if if you're listening to this podcast and you're you would consider yourself younger, then you may only know Jerry Lawler as that that Weird older pervert. commentator who is kind of a pervert. Here's yeah. the thing: in Memphis, Jerry Lawler was and maybe still is like semi divine whenever it comes into wrestling. This was the reason he's called the king is because they treated him like one. Like this is he was the man, and for for him to have this back and forth, let's also bear in mind because I remember seeing some of Kaufman's promos; they were fantastic heel work. You know, before he has a match with with Lawler, he comes out to the ring with this bag and he takes it out and he's lecturing the people of Memphis on how to use soap because they obviously don't know. Yeah, and I was he he had to have been a wrestling fan, right? Because oh yeah, because I think he was the one. I think he was the one, especially going back to the WWF. I think it was probably his idea, and he was trying to get in. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. You really have to kind of go back and look at some of the things that he did, and I believe some of that is out there. I'm I, I'm sure if you. There probably even there's even content probably on YouTube. I'd have to search for it. But if not, there have been there's definitely been several documentaries a, that a have been done of, about a lot of Memphis television has survived. So a lot of this, I think, is on T is out there. Yeah. And it, yeah. It, he is stunning. Like he's someone who obviously through his own like comedy work and think and acting, he was he, he kind of got uh, he could really work 
crowds obviously he, he knew how to do that and manipulate them but the the way he was able to do it specifically in the context of being a pro wrestling heel is tremendous oh yeah like, it, it take take aside the fact of him being an actor or something like that if he had just been someone who forget all of that he wanted to just go into the wrestling business he could have been someone like a bobby the brain heenan or you know, someone like that who would be forever memorable as someone incredible, like wit, incredible talent, someone who is kind of iconic just doing that because he could work. He could work people like no other. It was it was amazing. Oh, yeah. He was so good at pissing people off. And he, and, was, he was devoted to the craft. Like, I think um, Lawler told a story. I think it was on Stone Cold's podcast about when they did their big match and he gave him the pile driver. And Kaufman wanted them to call like an ambulance. And they're like, we can't. And he's laying there, and he, they're like, that's like two thousand dollars. We don't have that kind of money. He's like, I'll pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently, just looking it up real quick because I'm looking this stuff up as we go for just interesting stuff to add in. There is a. Uh, it was actually out of the Observer. Jerry Jarrett kept sending Kaufman uh, checks that you know he's drawn in all this attention. So there's like main event level checks and Kaufman never deposited them. So he's, he's loved doing this so much. He was doing it for free for God's sake. He was sake. doing it for the fun. He was doing Gosh. it for the hell of it. And he was so good at it. And the, if you haven't seen it, the, the Letterman segment where Lawler slaps him is iconic television. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. And it, here's the I, thing is they play it so straight. Oh, they play it dead serious, and I think they they played it so dead serious that obviously Dave Letterman wasn't in on the joke, but he kind of freaks out when yeah. it happens. I don't know, though, because so Letterman himself is a pretty big wrestling fan. There's a video of him talking about um, the brilliance of Bobby Heenan. Hmm. Oh, really? So I, I don't know if he was in on it or not or if he was a good actor, but I know there's there's clips of like David Letterman talking about wrestling. I remember Letterman. The only reason I even remember Letterman's involvement in that whole thing is after it happens, Kaufman threw coffee at Lawler and Lawler just slapped the taste out of Kaufman's mouth to the point where I think he fell back in the chair and the chair fell over or something. Well, and, and that and Kaufman's still wearing the neck brace. That's an and, interesting. Um, the way they played that too. If you watch Letterman thing. If you're a wrestling fan, Kaufman is supposed to be the bad guy. And if you're not a wrestling fan, you're watching this poor little pathetic guy getting bullied by this meathead wrestler. Like, it's a very interesting dynamic. But then at the end of that, <laughs> David Letterman says, Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there's a rule I have to reiterate on the show. It's dangerous. We don't throw coffee here. Which uh, <laughs> is a great line. But, God he was just so good at it and watching their match like Kaufman goes in the middle of the ring and he bends over at the waist and he just starts windmilling his arms and Lawler just kind of stands there and watches him for like a few minutes and then offers to give Kaufman a free headlock and Kaufman like sneaks into it and sneaks into it and he puts it on he's like oh yeah look what I got now and then Lawler reaches one hand up and does the little finger shake and just gives him like a back suplex and then comes the pile driver, and that's all she wrote because the pile driver, you know, was instant DQ in Memphis. You, you know what surprises me about Kaufman? Like the bit I've seen of him, like when 
Lawler like actually interacts with him physically is he sells really well. Sure. Because mm-hmm. that's it where it seems like when people like do those one offs or whatever that the selling is where they kind of struggle. Mm-hmm. And man, like he sold. Yeah, man, that's uh, it was really good. So, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to segue us into another more recent, but not really recent thing. Um, and it'll make sense why how one ties into the other. <clears throat> In the late 90s, the NWO was huge. It was massive stuff everywhere. And so what happens? Apparently... I don't even know what the backstory to it was, but who starts showing up with the NWO? None other than the worm, Dennis Rodman. Rodman comes out. He's part of a match with Hollywood Hogan against, was it what, Luger? And, yeah, it was Luger and the Giant. Yep. And that got, like, that got ESPN coverage at the time on Sports Yeah. And this whole thing was predicated on the fact that, like, Luger is squaring up with Hogan, so you've got the Giant also known as the Big Show, going after Rodman. And the fact that the rest of the NWO piles in, that's what, you know, there's, I remember this promo, the Giants sitting there, he's like, you know, I've got my hand around Rodman's neck, and then something hits me, like, right in the back of the head, and I go down. But for that moment, I had my hand around his neck. I don't even remember how the match ends. but And they flip out when Rodman, like, throws a, he does an arm drag to Luger, where, you know, Luger does most of the work, and I think he might have been drunk for that match, too. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Hogan and Luger were drunk, too. <laughs> so God, who knows, right? So Rodman's kind of one of those you-had-to-be-there people, but there was about a two-year period where he was, like, a big deal. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he was... Uh, obviously, there was the whole... The championships. Well, yeah, um, but his uh, the championships he had um, with professional basketball. Um, but he was also in. I want to say he was in like a Jean Claude Van Damme movie. Yeah, that I yes, definitely watched. It was once. called Double Team. That, oh that's wow, good where pull. The, the nostalgia critic came up with the idea of frying the coke, which is surviving something that you should not have survived. <laughs> Please tell me you haven't. Please tell me you haven't seen that movie more than you've seen Goonies. I have not seen that movie. I've seen okay. the Nostalgic Critics' review of that movie. Give me a little credit. I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen that movie. I think we're. I, I, I don't think you're missing a whole lot. I know. I saw on Netflix. I saw like the word kickboxer, and I got really excited. It was like some shitty like 2016 movie, and I was really sad. Ah. Uh, so in this time frame we had Dennis Rodman and then they have that tag match where it's it's uh, Luger and the Giant versus Hogan and Rodman well not long after that uh, DDP got involved and this was right after I think the Bulls beat the Utah Jazz for the the NBA uh, Yep. For the championship for that year. Mm-hmm. The second so, one would have been probably like a month after that one. Maybe down. maybe two, I think. Something like that. But you, that's when you had Carl Malone show up. 
to team with DDP. One of the stark differences I saw between Rodman and Malone, first of all, that Rodman just kind of went out to the ring in whatever the hell he happened to be wearing, right? Malone got an exact copy of DDP's gear made for him. Like the tights, the boots, the vest, the elbow pads, that sort of stuff. Um, and from all accounts, Malone worked hard to do well at it. And so you got what you could call, a, I guess, a decent tag match that happened to have two non-wrestlers in it. Uh, and that was a big deal, too. That, that got ESPN coverage again. You know what, though? I don't feel like... I feel like Malone actually tried harder in the ring, and he could have probably been a competent wrestler given time, but there's just a certain, like, presence that Dennis Rodman had. He felt like he belonged there, and, like, he was a really good, like, addition to the NWO. Mm-hmm. And it made them, yeah. it made them because... seem like a big deal because they had, like, a celebrity member outside of wrestling. Yeah, and he fit kind of thematically with them because he was basically like a sleaze sleaze bag um which is very much their gimmick sure and and malone was really more of just kind of an afterthought to quote-unquote counterbalance rodman and, mm-hmm. and rodman was cool like at the time like if you were if you were what i mean we were all like what teenagers at this point yeah this was when i was in high school yeah. so, so 97 98 somewhere in there so like the nwo like the nwo was cool at the time like the shirts were cool the attitude was cool and dennis rodman like added that bad boy layer of cool like that legit bad boy layer of cool like i think it's something that um wrestling really misses now when they do celebrity crossovers but they kind of went out and got like the perfect guy to meld into that for a little bit of extra background, this was also in the time frame when um, Dennis Rodman was playing on the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen in their second uh, three-peat of NBA titles. Yeah, and I, think, I mean, it, people knew who the hell Dennis Rodman was. And he, I mean, and he was doing like Stern and stuff at this point too. Yep. So. So. Here's here's where the tie-in comes in with the Kaufman stuff. So you have this Rodman Malone thing that goes on, and part of what happened was this confrontation between Hogan and Rodman, and DDP and uh, Malone happened on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. So after we have Hogan Rodman versus DDP Malone on Nitro, we start carving out one or two entire segments for Eric Bischoff to start knocking on Jay Leno. Well, he like on got NWO his own, like... nightcap. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And it, uh, at one point they even came in and they ran Jay Leno off of his own set. So here comes page back with a chair in hand with Leno to run them off, which meant it rode wild one year. Incidentally, probably the worst event that they could have this match at <laughs> at road wild. It was Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff versus Diamond Dallas Page and Jay Leno. And again, like Bischoff's ring gear, such as it was, it like kind of fit because he had the martial arts background. So, you know, he's wearing like the long pants and the black shirt and the black belt and stuff. Leno didn't get gear made. 
You know, he's he's wearing like jogging pants and a t-shirt. Um, and I remember there was a story because he was trained by Canyon for it. Um, Canyon was the guy they had worked with him, and you know they go out there and they get in the ring, and they're like, and Canyon was like, "Where's this guy's personality going? You know, you see him on TV, you see him do stand up. Turns out he's just so dialed in on trying to f- learn how to do it right that he just completely left all the personality out during training. And so a um, match happened. Is how I'm going to describe it. Yeah, it's the best way to describe it. It it, it uh, did exist in uh, space and time. And Jay Leno's <laughs> band leader, Kevin Eubanks, rolls in the ring and hits the diamond cutter on Eric Bischoff. So not only, not only does do you have you know Jay Leno who was shorter than even Eric Bischoff at the time, the baby faces had to cheat to win the match. I, in front but, of a crowd that didn't care. I, you know, but I thought, okay, so this is this is a pay per view I saw live at the time. So I think the fact that they cheated to win was funnier than if they had ha- if they had won clean. Just personal opinion. You know what? You're right though, because um, that was at the time when uh, Hogan had gotten Brutus Beefcake another job as his disciple. I think. Yeah. This is before the um, warrior abducts and um, does probably. And, and... <laughs> we we know what we okay. Let's just say this: we know what the warrior did to Santa Claus in that comic book. Oh god! <laughs> oh god! We're pulling out the really obscure references tonight. If if people don't know what we're referencing, please please Google it. Yes, I didn't believe it was. I didn't believe it was a real thing until I was speaking with uh, another person we know, um, the great Christy Petrillo. I have a copy of it somewhere. <laughs> I have a T-shirt from it. I, I have a copy of it. Has the word on the front of it. It's 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 truly a sight. <laughs> so done I, in that mid '90s horrible art style. That the kind of pseudo Rob Liefeld style yeah. where yeah. every everyone has pecs that are as big as like the state of montana yeah 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 just google ultimate warrior santa comic um put that into your google image search and please <laughs> uh, keep the safety settings off so i think there was some good ideas to <laughs> also this. have something to bite down on because you might have a seizure <laughs> yeah you can also uh, google distrusticity Distrusity, yeah. distrusity, whatever his little uh, catchphrase was. Yeah. So, so I think I think there was some good ideas. I think the I think the idea behind this was good, crossing over with a mainstream show to get more eyes on your product. I sure. think where they went wrong is um, Jay Leno was the wrong person to get for their demo. If they'd had Leno as the manager for Paige in it. That would have made more sense, I think. I think, well, I think for their demo, they should have they should have teamed up with Conan O'Brien because he was more relevant to that that fifteen to forty male demographic that they were gunning for at the time. Uh, maybe, but I think wasn't this around the time that Leno had like recently taken over the Tonight Show? This was like when he first like I think knocked Letterman off. Like, yeah, I think. I, I I agree that Leno wasn't like the guy. You're, you're not going to bring people into your wrestling show per se, but um, he was a bigger star than Conan. 
also I feel having so. that, I, go ahead having that match at Road Wild was a terrible idea. Yeah, because I, I think I think you could do like a whole show on what a boondoggle the Road Wild concept was. Yeah, yeah, it it apparently never worked out unless it was Goldberg. They loved Goldberg. But it was all just because Bischoff wanted to go to Sturgis for free. Yep. So um, I thought the match itself, this is, this is, I have never seen this since it happened live. I've never wanted to. I don't remember the match being a total disaster. It seemed like, I mean, it wasn't good, but as far as a bad celebrity match goes, it was probably inoffensive. Okay, that's, that's. That's I do, fair. I think my biggest remembrance of this show is I believe Public Enemy murdered Tokyo Magnum on the undercard. Um, they put... Uh, I, I thought they put, like, Alex Ryder, Disco Inferno through, like, a three-table stack. I they I, It might have been them or it might have been Tokyo. It was around that time. Yeah, it's, that's when Tokyo was running around with the Boogie Nights, but... So I, I would say this was, I would say ultimately this was a failure. And like I said, I, I think their idea was good, but I think they ultimately executed it poorly and chose the wrong person. But I see why they went down the Leno path. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, I want to pull uh, a, a much more recent example that I thought worked well. Um, WrestleMania... Comic book tie-in, excellent promo for the match, where we had, uh, and correct me if I'm off base on this, but I believe it was Stardust and King Barrett took on Adrian Neville and Stephen Amell from Arrow. I think it was SummerSlam. Was it? I could probably look it up and, and not make a fool of myself. So I would say this is... He is one of the rare cases of a celebrity coming in and actually kind of being impressive in the ring. He's someone who, uh, if you watch Arrow, and I don't watch it with any sort of consistency, um, but he 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 has to be in tremendous shape for that role. Yeah, uh, and which obviously doesn't equate. It, it, you can just be in good shape or be a bodybuilder or things like that. You don't have to be particularly athletic. Um, to be in shape, but he does strike me as someone who probably, um, and especially based on his, the kind of the things that he pulled off in this match, like it, he does strike me as someone who's probably like naturally athletic or has a background in sports. So yeah, it seemed like he, he really did try. And I mean, look, when you're bringing in celebrities to actually do work, like work, actually work matches, I think the biggest hurdle is just them even just trying <laughs> in the ring putting forth an effort and he did seem like he put forth as best of an effort as he could. He did some not easy stuff in there. I think he did like a dive. Yeah. Did he do like a tope or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Onto, onto uh, stardust. And he just did last November. I think he did a multi-man as part of the bullet club. Mm. Mm, yes, he did. That's why he had, there's a vigilante club shirt. <clears throat> Maybe they can uh, book him versus Flip Gordon at All In. <laughs> One thing about this match that really impressed me is they you can't you wouldn't usually be able to get your celebrity guest to do this, but it's probably the best use for him is Amel 
took the heat from the heel tag team for this match. And like he, you know, he comes in and he like he he uh, push kicks uh, Stardust, but then they got a hold of him and just beat the hell out of him uh, until we got the hot tag. And that impressed me, the fact that he was willing to to do that. Because taking the heat can suck sometimes. I think it's fair to say, um, based upon his his continued interaction with wrestling, um, he's he's probably a fan, right, in real life? Yeah, I think so. I would imagine. I, I would imagine at some point he was a PWG fly. Oh, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think he, I think he must be a fan. And I have to say, like, if I ever was in that sort of position where I could, I could work a match, or especially a, a, a big time match like this, that there's going to be a lot of eyeballs, and who knows if I'll ever get a chance to do that again. I would absolutely go to them and be like, look, I will, I'll take the heat. I'll be, I'll play Ricky Morton. Yeah, and you can have the you can have guys beat the shit out of me uh, most of the match, and I you know I, I can do the hot tag. Like I would love it. I would I would I would get such a big kick out of it, and there, maybe that's the same position he was in. There's sure, a, there's a certain level too, and I think you see it with um, Ronda Rousey a bit. There's mm-hmm. people that come in as fans beforehand. There's a certain level that they get things that I think other people don't that aren't necessarily fans, like. They might, their body might not be able to do it, but their brain has a certain innate understanding of what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So, well, they yeah, love yeah. doing it. They have such a ball doing it. That's a good point. I mean, Shad, you actually stepped into the ring. I mean, you you actually did it. But if if I somehow was in a position where I could work a wrestling match, and I I had at least I was even enough time to semi-train to do it so i would not be a complete embarrassment out there like i think from i would like to think from a psychological standpoint i would know a little bit better as to what to do in terms of trying to get heat or trying to get something over even if i'm not like dominating the match i'm i'm the one who's just getting the, the, the piss taken out of me and just beat up i would hope that i would know like okay i need to sell this i need to do this because i'm a wrestling fan whereas someone like uh i don't know like someone like a jay leno <laughs> kind yeah of, obviously yeah. he's not like a physically imposing person but he wouldn't know what to do or like settle things because he's sure. not a fan but someone like Stephen amell who, who if he's if he is a you know, grew up a fan or something would kind of know what to do plus maybe him being a, an actor helped he, yeah you should know how to try and convey emotion to a crowd of people it was it was a good match it was okay um speaking of actors i'm gonna take us back to <laughs> oh you know where this is at you know what's getting ready to happen guys you know what's happening oh god and this hurt this this hurt especially given that one of my favorites of all time was involved ddp oh was involved yes i gotta do it we can't let this go by and not bring it up. David Arquette. What was that stupid movie that caused this? Ready it was called Rumble. Ready to Rumble. I sat through it in theaters. I still wow. regret that 20 years later. Who was, the main, was, who was the main guy that played, like, the king character or whatever in that Oliver movie? Platt. Oliver Platt. Ugh. Yep. 
who has who been good in other stuff, but my oh god, who is a decent actor but wasn't remotely believable in this role. No, uh, he no. did. He's not even a physically imposing person. He's just no. a big fat guy. Well, I kind of think that was part of the idea was the fact that he was like he he was out of shape and you know he didn't care anymore. Although you know the, it was written by people who obviously didn't know what the hell wrestling was about and then t- attempted to be repaired by people who did. Wasn't it, um wasn't Joey Pants in this? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Joe Joey Pants, like Joe Pantoliano. I don't uh, remember much uh, about this. Let movie. me look. You guys know who I talk. You guys know the actor remember. I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I think so. He I was just in uh, that. he he was one of the he he was um he was in yep. the first Matrix. Yep. He was, there he, he, was, yeah. he was Cypher. Yeah. Oh, actually, because I, he was think, uh, he was the promoter. Yeah. Now that I think about this, uh, wow, everything—it's a small world after all. Um, yeah. Maybe the theme of this shouldn't. Maybe the theme of this podcast is Goonies because he was in the Goonies. He <laughs> <laughs> was in the Goonies. Yeah, if you remember, he was one of the evil uh, brothers. Oh, he was, he was nice. one of the Fratelli brothers in the Goonies. Wow. Oh, is he the nerdy Dad, one? Dad, you would know this if you saw this movie oh, 5,000 times. Was he the like nerdy one or the singing one? No, he was the nerdy one. Um, Robert Davi was uh, the singing one. Yeah. yeah. Robert Davi, he's also been in like 100 movies that you've seen where he's to, always playing some sort of nasty, ugly just, just to character. go off subject for five seconds, but the, <laughs> the singing for Telly had some pipes on him. Oh yeah, I think, I think he actually, I think Robert Davi actually has um, a background in opera or something like that. I'm not joking. Let me look this up. Let's let's uh, as we talk oh, some more about man. David Arquette. Yeah, they, okay. So you have this, you have this movie where it's, where it's obviously David Randy Arquette the Rams retired. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's David Arquette and Scott Can and their fans, and then, uh, God, just it ended up with David Arquette showing up on the show and having beef with Vince Russo. I think that's right because it because Vince Russo couldn't not insert himself into stuff. It was like that. It was part of that New Blood crap, wasn't it? Um, I think it was after that. Uh, no, I think that was around that time. Because this is around that clusterfuck in, like, that May, like, April, May, June area. Wait, 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 hang on, I'm looking it up now. It's, Arquette was brought in, first appearance, before leaping into the ring to take part in a confrontation with Eric Bischoff and his new blood stable, yes. Okay. So, it's, it's... Oh, God. Arquette teams with DDP in a match against Eric Bischoff and Jeff Jarrett. Whoever got the pin took the championship. Oh, and I think Jarrett was champion at the time. Yeah, yeah that was. No, that was, no, he wasn't. Page was. Page was the reigning champion at the time. Oh, really? And, yeah, I think so. I, seen, I, I thought this was like one of the times that they had actually put the belt on Jared. Now there was this, there was this wow, weird, I'm, I'm misremembering this. There was okay, this weird, I'm, I'm going to have to look it up, but from, from the recap I'm reading when the first, um, confrontation happened, page was champion. 
And then that was April 12th. Well, there's, <clears> so he there's defeated this, Bischoff in the, on April 24th. So it was Bischoff, not Russo. My bad. There's I'm this weird, um, there's this weird, like, clusterfuck with the belt from, like, April to July before Booker T first gets it, where, like, Jarrett has it, then they give it to Paige, then Jarrett gets it back. Then Ric Flair has it for, like, some random amount of time, and then Jarrett has it back. Like, there's a whole clusterfuck for, like, two and a half months of just okay. it so here's, here's the timeline. <clears throat> uh, on the 12th, he has the inf- uh, confrontation with Bischoff. On the 24th, Paige and Canyon back up Arquette to beat Bischoff in a singles match. Okay, so far, no harm, no foul. I mean, you know, it's it's not really what you're tuning in to see, but it's not terrifically offensive, I guess. On the following Thunder is the tag match with Arquette and Paige versus Bischoff and Jarrett. Arquette got beat up so bad they took him to the back. At the end of the match, Arquette comes back out, hits probably the least believable spear I've ever seen in my life on Bischoff and pins him to win the title and Paige has to act happy about it. Wow. Yeah. And he defeated, he defended the title against Tank Abbott with help from DDP. And then they brought in... I don't don't know that one at all. Well, uh, there's a reason I'm reading this, because I had blocked a lot of it out of my memory. So when when did they do the triple cage where, like, Canyon gets tossed off the top or whatever? Slamboree. That was 12 days after Arquette won the title. See, I kind of remember that match, because I remember he was, like, at the top of the cage. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But he turned on Paige to give the belt to Jarrett for reasons no one can understand. Because it it's Russo, I guess. Now this whole this whole era of TV is awful. Like yes, I don't. Yes. Because remember now, they even this they even turned Goldberg heel like a short time after this. I remember he, Russo bragged about it. It's like the biggest thing that can happen in wrestling that Vince McMahon can't do anything about. Like, oh, you're going to turn Goldberg heel. He's like, no. Yeah. Um, and so we the thing that's from interviews later on, the thing that's most embarrassing about this is the fact that Arquette was a, is a wrestling fan and he thought this was a terrible idea and it happened anyway. So all the money that he got from WCW, my understanding is he donated it to the Pillman family. Um, no, he donated to the families of Owen Hart and Brian Pillman and draws. So he gave the money to those three families, which is credit to him. But at some point, he probably should have just put his foot down and said, no, I am not. No, 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 no. And now I have a headache. How? What happened to him? He seemed like he disappeared shortly after this from like the whole Hollywood thing. <laughs> I don't blame him. Yeah, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know what he did after kind of the Scream franchise dried up, but he's still he's still very much a wrestling fan. Um, I think I mentioned it to, to you two guys, but not on the podcast. He, uh, I was, I was in New Orleans for the WrestleMania weekend, and he, I didn't go to the particular show, but he he was at one of the wrestling shows. He popped up on like, uh, I feel like the Impact uh, 
versus Lucha Underground show or something. He was in the crowd just like as a fan and people recognized him. He kind of was just like sheepishly like, yeah, I'm here. Like, <laughs> I, please, used to, I used to be WCW champion. Yeah. Please don't pay that much attention to He yeah. had some other stuff after that. Like he was in Eight-Legged Freaks and, and some other stuff. That's a, that's a better movie than you think it is. It's not great. But it's, it's not it's Goonies kinda, quality. But. No, it's, it, oh, it's not Goonies quality. <laughs> but it's, it's uh, kind of entertaining. Shark Boy and Lava Girl is probably the last big thing he did. Hey, well. Well, was Scream 4 big or was that kind of a flop? I don't I know. I think it did decently. He may be the only, well, he and Jay Leno may be the only people in this list that we have that won a WrestleCrap Gooker Award. You know what David Arquette's acting career kind of reminded me of in that time frame? It was like if um, someone was trying to do Pauly Shore when that wasn't funny anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Even at the time, I think he struck me as like trying to continue that style of movie after it like stopped being interesting. The character actor thing? Yeah. All right. Well, here's what I'm going to do is there there are a couple of guys we have on the list that I don't have a whole lot of recollection of. So I'm just going to go ahead and bring them up and let you guys roll with it. Um, one guy we have on the list is William Perry. Um, Brad, why don't you lead us off on that? So William Perry was kind of a flash in the pan, like super popular football player for, I don't know, two years in the 80s when the Bears won the Super Bowl um, he was popular enough that he actually has a G.I. Joe figure. Which I owned uh, back in the day, and I think I wow. still own it somewhere in uh, storage. I think that was a mail-away, wasn't it? Yeah, you had to like uh, send off your proof of purchase <laughs> and like three bucks or something, and it would come in the mail. And I don't think they did many... Um... I don't think they did many Celebrity Joes. I think it was really just him and Slaughter, if I remember correctly. They So I never bought this because it was uh, it came out 10, 15 years ago, and it was a kind of a direct mail-to-consumer. Well, actually, it may have been like a collector's item that they did at, at like a, a toy convention or something, but they actually did a Roddy Roddy, Roddy, Roddy Piper G.I. Joe figure. In the in the old stuff? Like, yes. Yeah, Not- 3.5 inch. And okay. I... I I wanted it like nobody's business, but I think as soon as it came out, it was selling for like $200 uh, online easily. Let me actually go on. Uh, let me go on eBay right now and yeah, see that's where I was going. I was going to say, I can't say old style GI Joe because that's a doll. Oh uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, that's fair. So um, his, his involvement was WrestleMania two. They did a WWF versus NFL battle Royal. So I looked up the other guys in that battle royal, and it wasn't anyone of consequence that I don't think anyone would know. It's so, not like um, it's Kevin Green or anything. It no. was it was a bunch of um it was a bunch of NFL players uh in which uh, Fridge was in that match, and he was kind of he since he was popular at the time, he kind of got uh, major billing. But if you actually watch the battle royal that they were all in, he doesn't really do much in there. That um. That battle royale is really fascinating because there was another NFL guy. I, I, it's been some years since I've seen this, but I want to say it was Bill Freilich. Yeah, who, it was Fre- who, Freilich was in it. Who played? Um, I know he played like for the Falcons. 
uh, he was in it, and I think it was him. He actually did like a really cool, like a good job, to the point where after I watched the match, I'm like, wow, this guy could have, uh, this guy could have actually done something in the wrestling industry if he wanted to. Like he had some good, uh, he he moved pretty well. Like he he had some intensity. He seemed like he was actually trying. Okay. Rare G.I. Joe 2007 convention exclusive Roddy Roddy Piper 100% complete. It's pretty much Piper, a helmet, a thing to stand on in his like G.I. Joe card. $349.99 plus $5.95 shipping or best offer. Wow. Mm. And there, there, I sing another one that's like mint on card. That's $500. Oh, gosh. That's a little, that's a little too much for me. Yeah. So this battle royal is pretty forgettable. Um, Andre the Giant won, and they were kind of pushing that gimmick of him being the king of battle royals because I think they're getting him ready for three. But um, yeah, so Perry I think gets eliminated close to the end, and it was pretty upset about it. And they're kind of acting like they're gonna do more with it, but then Perry's star kind of quickly fell after this, so uh. nothing more happened. Well, then let's let's dovetail that into the next one on the list of D'Angelo Williams. This is a blank spot in my uh, in my uh, memory, so I'll let you guys run with it. So this was at Slam Aver- I think it was Slammiversary last year for Impact. So most people probably didn't see this. He teamed up with um. Oh crap! I should look this up beforehand. It was against e- Eli Drake and someone else, and he teamed up with someone in a tag. And this one, he actually did some cool stuff. Like, he looked really good. Like, good enough where it was kind of like Stephen and Mel where you're like, eh, I want to see that guy wrestle again. Um, you know, did some cool stuff. He did, like, the... I think he did the Rolling Thunder at one point. And, um... Just a guy... A, he's a running back, so it was a guy using his athleticism, and he obviously took his training pretty... pretty seriously. And I'm pretty sure they smartly, like, had him tag with the guy that trained him to do it um i got i got nothing for you on that i can look at do slammiversary 2017 i haven't seen this match so i can't really comment yeah. uh, i tried to find a youtube video for you guys but it wasn't out there so what I've got here is that he tagged with Moose in a victory over Chris Adonis and Eli Drake. Yep, that's it. That's the match. So Chris Moose... Adonis. So Chris Adonis, the former Chris Masters. Yep. And then Moose. I think I think Moose was a football player at some point too. So they had that tie-in. Yeah. Yeah. And I... then apparently he used a frog splash. Yeah, they kind of screwed up the end because, like, the table didn't break, which wasn't his fault. But, you know, stuff happens. Yeah. Okay. And then I will go on to this. This moves nicely into our our uh, our last insert for the evening. Um, WrestleMania 9, uh, Lawrence Taylor facing was, Bam Bam Bigelow. It was WrestleMania 10. Was it, oh, was it 11? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was 11. It was I'm sorry, I read with, uh, the I before the X. It was the same one with uh, Diesel and Sean and Pamela Anderson. So, uh, 
Okay, I haven't seen this match in a really long time. I know I've seen it two or three times, and I don't remember this match being offensive, other than killing Bam Bam Bigelow's career in the WWF. Which is a shame. Yeah, he basically he did recover um, with his stint in ECW, and even did kind of decently in WCW um, towards the end. Um, but yeah, like in terms of WWF, this was it. I I have to I I remember seeing this. I remember seeing Tom Brokaw talk about this on the evening news. Uh, was it this one, or did did Lawrence Taylor show up in WCW? No, I don't think so. No. Okay. This did this did launch a WCW career, though. Yeah, Steve McMichael, I think, was one of the the guys that Lawrence Taylor brought. One of the okay. couple players who he brought to be kind of like his seconds. Yeah, and it's weird because he's like he was on the Green Bay Packers at the time. Yeah. Even though, like, when he showed up in WCW, he was all bears all the time. Yeah. Um. It was, yeah, it's just such a weird, well, I do remember, that's what I was, what am I thinking of? He beat, McMichael beat Reggie White at Slamboree, that's what I was thinking of. Whacked him over the head with the briefcase. Oh, wow, I forgot Reggie White was a thing. Yeah, yeah. We we had talked about Kevin Green, but I forgot the Reggie White thing. Yeah, Kevin Green, he wrestled like a couple times, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. In WCW. Cause yep. they did that. They did that six man, didn't they? It was like Kevin Green and Reggie White and um, oh, who was the other guy versus like M- Mongo and I have to look at this. I think it was like Spring Stampede in '97. I'm not sure. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Though? It would. Let's see. I actually completely forgot about Reggie White and WCW. I did too. Yeah. Like, Cause and he was a big deal at the time. Yeah, he yep. was. Yep. Um, he we whacked him over the head with the Halliburton briefcase that they had originally used to buy him off from. Uh, who was he tagging with? He was tagging with Kevin Green, and so it was it was Mongo. I remember seeing this because it was in that. Uh, oh God, what show was that in? It was at a. Steve it McMichael was... defeated Reggie White, um, yeah, in a singles match. And then it was Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, and Kevin Green defeated Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and six. Holy That's, cow! Yeah. They put they put them in the main event. Yeah. Well, the, the Kevin Green uh, six man. Yeah. Wow. I and know, then Kevin right? Green beat Mongo the next month. Kevin Green's debut in WCW was as a tag partner for Steve McMichael, but McMichael turned on him to join the Horsemen when they gave him a Halliburton filled with cash. <laughs> so, but uh, I've actually I, I kind of mentioned this to you guys uh, beforehand. I'm that that was on uh, I think Great American Bash '96, and I'm yes. rewatch I'm rewatch I'm randomly rewatching 1996. Uh, WCW ran. It really is random. Like I, I wanted to start with a year, and I just chose that year for some reason. And I I'm, I'm watching, was... I'm watching that pay per view. I haven't gotten that match, but that pay per view is overall like a shockingly good pay per view. That Which was one? you recommended that to me because Great American Bash, Great 96. American Bash, 
Yeah, 96. It, isn't that the one that had the Steiners versus Fire and Ice? Yes. Oh, man, I meant to talk about that at like, the last uh, podcast. There is a... Yeah, there's a the it, the opening match is Steiners versus Fire and Ice, which is the tag team of Scott Norton and Ice Train, and I don't know what was going on. I don't know if like Norton had heat with the Steiners or vice versa, but it's literally four big dudes just throwing each other around, doing power moves, and also kind of stiffing the shit out of each other. Like there's a, <laughs> know, there's a right? point in the match. Where I think it was Rick, I don't. I I think it was Rick. I don't think it was Scott. But uh, he like slams Norton down and then just kicks him in the face, and it doesn't look like he worked it. Yeah, like he kicks him in the face, and overall what. it was just a hard match. I mean, Steiner lines and Norton like. Maybe they thought they were jobbers. I don't know. It, it was. Uh, it's a. It's a shockingly good match. It's not. A five star classic, but I'd probably give it like a good three stars. It is a hoss fight. Yeah. How about in the future we sit down and we do a retrospective on that show? Just Great American Bash '96 because there's there's all kinds of stuff in that. Because yeah, I'm had down the, to, uh, I'm down to take like an old pay per view and and like review it. Okay. Well, with that being said, I think we've worked through our list of celebrities who've gone into wrestling. Unless there's anybody else you guys want to bring up. I'll say, I'll say that one well, just to go back to the Lawrence Taylor match. Um, I kind of sold him short a little bit there. Um, I do remember it kind of not being a great match, but it was okay. I think he got kind of blown up. Um, too much partly, coke, <laughs> probably, or or too many hookers the night before. Getting blown up there, brother. Uh, but he was kind of like second win, but it was still decent. All I know is that I was a I was a young kid when that pay per view came out. Um, but that was. Uh, when me and my friends were kind of really into WWF at the time. And I remember all me and all my friends were just like in awe of this match. Like we were super excited for it. Um, so they, at least, that kind of celebrity involvement really kind of worked on us at the time. Mm. Yeah. Cause we, we knew who Elfie was because of his successful football career. And sure. So him being in the wrestling match, it was kind of, if we were a little, we were too young to appreciate WrestleMania back in the day. So this was kind of like our moment where it's like, oh, oh my God, Mr. T was healthy in WrestleMania 11. It was like, wow, there's this legit sports star coming into wrestling. Yeah. All I, right. I want to throw out a few quickies before. These didn't necessarily result in wrestling matches, but I thought they, they amused me greatly at the time. But uh, Stewart and Cena's deal and is that 2015 now oh yeah oh i remember that that was i i didn't think there was a match didn't um stewart got fu'd though didn't he maybe the next night but i remember why he ran in he ran in and hit cena with a chair at the end of the match so that cena didn't win the title and the next night they were like why did you do that and he said well here's the thing Ric Flair won the title 16 times and Cena's at, at what, 14 or 15 or something at that point. He says, and I don't think Ric Flair's uh, record should be broken, so I had to do something about it. And I was like, I can't decide how I feel about that reasoning. That's a stunningly illogical reason um, <laughs> to, tr- to, to 
do that to Cena. Yeah, because they were they were buddies up until that point. So. And it was a legit surprise at the time, I think. Yeah, yeah. The fact that they actually had a reason for him the next night, I I, I liked that. <laughs> and and then the other one, this one is more of a Twitter thing, though I think it made the air at one point, but um, CM Punk versus the LA Kings mascot. <laughs> okay, I didn't see that. So they, so they have a... So they have a Twitter, they've had an on and off Twitter feud for like six years now. And I mean, it's, you. Pr- it pretty much blows up every now and then. Um, their teams haven't been as good lately, so it hasn't happened as much. But it's pretty much too, it's pretty much a mascot for a professional sports team. And CM Punk just like throwing some nasty burns at each other on Twitter. And just going back and forth. And I think I think the Kings mascot attacked him on Raw once. Okay. <laughs> like I think he was I think he was I think he was doing an interview and like the Kings mascot was like climbing up behind him and then um elbow dropped him. <laughs> And wow. just the, I don't remember just, that at all. And just a side story, but the Nashville <laughs> Predators often have uh, wrestlers interact with their mascot. Oh yeah. So like, well, I mean, um, who's, who's going to work it better, right? Well, so what they do is they have this they have this kind of skit where the mascot has like a banjo face off with a fake mascot for the other team during the game. Yeah. And so like randomly, once Jeff Jarrett came out and hit him with with the guitar. And then there was another one where Duggan came out and was going to hit him with the two by four and the mascot stopped him and took the two by four and then hit the guy with it. Wow. <laughs> For your random bit of useless knowledge. But those were the, those were the two, um, the two interactions with wrestling other than, uh, the fact that they've all blocked Melissa Joan Hart. <laughs> But I think her and Kevin Owens got into it at some point. Yeah, they did. They did. That that absolutely happened. Yeah. So, all right, guys. I felt like I felt like we were missing someone, but I really I really like scraped the depths of like my brain, and I don't think we missed anyone as far as getting in the ring. Uh, if there was if there was someone in the '60s and '70s, I'm sorry, like it, I don't like have that so i i have um two one i i can't believe we actually um forgot him and then one that's more comedy okay um one i don't know if he necessarily count uh given our kind of parameters that we set because he from my knowledge he was never well i'm gonna you know what i think he should count because he didn't actually wrestle in a match but he was part of a very important match and depending upon who you might ask, may have actually helped turn the tide, believe it or not, in the Monday Night War. Oh, but, yeah, he was he was someone I, I kind of fought with. Yeah, I, I think maybe we should maybe we should go ahead and include him, but WrestleMania 14, Mike Tyson, as the special referee with, between Austin and Michaels, um, was a big deal. Apparently, definitely, it, it got a lot of media attention at the time, and... Uh, really kind of helped solidify uh, Austin's popularity, even though he was, you know, 
hugely blowing up at the time. Mm-hmm. And Tyson, Tyson doing the DX chop is kind of an iconic image of that era. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think people like Meltzer have said that the, he actually did help um, kind of turn the tide because he, he kind of helped make it uh, make the WWF cool again uh, with his performance there. But I feel like the tide had already kind of been turning, but he did have a lot of he did bring a lot of attention back to the WWF at the time. And sure. he was he was still he was still fairly relevant at the time. Yeah, he was. Um, so I think he's kind of at least an honorable mention if we're not considering him since he didn't. He his only participation was really that that I, role. I have one random off-topic question for you. Sure. Have you ever watched the Mike Tyson mysteries? I have seen that. Um, it's not bad. It's not my favorite um adult swim show but it's it's not that bad um it's also it helps but because they have norm mcdonald playing uh <laughs> of all things like a it's a uh, a talk a talking yeah as a talking pigeon <laughs> so, you know he's um, just I, I could do a whole show on mike tyson but he's interesting to me because he's he developed a self-awareness i think later in life that makes him like really funny mm-hmm and uh, he just—I don't know—he's—he's he's an interesting person. If—if if you haven't seen it, I think it's called Tyson. There's like a, a documentary with him talking into like a camera just by himself for like an hour and a half, and it's um, mm-hmm. it's interesting. But yeah, he, this is huge. He is a—he's an interesting person. He's arguably—he's kind of like a tragic character because he—he—he did—he's legit had um some tough things in his life and obviously made some wrong choices in his life as well. But yeah. I, I got broken up at this documentary a little bit because he was talking about um, custom auto. Yeah. And we're talking, this is like 20 years after this guy died, and he's he's blubbering while he's talking about it. Like, it just... <laughs> but I also want to say I never beat that motherfucker in Punch-Out. <laughs> yeah. Maybe with the Game Genie code for me. No, yeah. Even with the game... I, it was funny seeing him on... I think Kimmel he tried to fight himself and punch out and he lost in like five seconds yeah. oh yeah who was your comedy uh so guy? I actually don't think they ever really appeared unless I'm um wrong and Brad you know a little bit more about this promotion than I do so you might be able to tell me but honorable mention to uh Bob Saget and Dave Coulier <laughs> for being the uh, honorary uh board of directors members um for chikara i know <laughs> i know bob saget did like taped stuff for them did he okay yeah but i don't i don't remember what dave coulier did but I, this was this was kind of between so i think this happened because this was well dave coulier is probably cheap but i think this was kind of between popularity for bob saget so they got him for a reasonable rate um, that's how I think that happened. But it, they, they, they kind of. I think Bob Saget did a year. They were the director of fun, which is kind of a rotating position. Mm. And then I think Dave Coulier followed. I don't remember Dave Coulier doing anything, but I know I've seen Bob Saget like announcing some stuff. Mm. And it tapes tape. I don't think he ever did live. Um, I do know Mike talked about once they tried to get the guy that did Cobra Commander's voice to do like really? a voiceover. 
I don't because they wanted him to be the director of fun. Like he was gonna be like he's gonna do the voice for someone, and he said like the price they named him was like just more than they could afford. Like I think he wanted like twenty thousand dollars. Oh no, or something. But um, yeah. Uh, is random question is does Jakara Steel still even run? Yeah, they have a for like eight dollars a month you can get Jakara Topia and it has all their shows on it <laughs> and their new stuff airs on it. Okay, because I know they shut down for a while. Yeah, that was kind of an angle, some weird thing. Like, I'm not sure what the whole story there was. It's it's actually kind of a sad story because they were, like, super hot when they did that, and they've never quite recovered. There was a lot of, um, who knows? It's, it, there's always bullshit with rumors, but, like, it's the hard rumor... To tell. The rumor going around at the time was that Chikara was being funded by uh, Quack and Bush's wife, who yeah, I had don't know. money... And I don't know the. Ver- I don't know they were the- going through like a divorce, so his 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 money mark <laughs> dried up. Mm. But I, who knows with how much I, of that I crap is. I don't know if I believe that because I think his wife like does like stuff for the promotion and has appeared on screen and stuff. You know, back in the day, he did a. He may still do it, but he did a podcast with um, Steve Carino, which was a bizarre. A very bizarre podcast. He does because, one with some guy on Fox News called the Grizzly Bear Egg Cafe. I don't know if they still. Oh, do that's it, but. that's the same one I was thinking of. In fact, oh wait, maybe he didn't do it with Steve Carino. No, you're right. I'm I'm thinking of I'm confusing a, I'm confusing podcasts. There was a there was a Steve Carino podcast that he did with someone who I thought it was with Mike Quackenbush, but it's not. He he the Grizzly Bear Egg Cafe is the one that he does with he he is someone from like Fox News. But not like Fox News that you would know. I looked to the guy up. He's like a, he's like on Fox News on like the weekends or something. He's like the morning weekend guy. Yeah. Um. And Quackenbush just talks at length about his love for eighties uh, cartoons and. Well, he he talks stuff. a lot about like the monkeys. Yeah, and, they're they're weird like super fans and um. Uh, there's an eighties band that they're super fans of. That I can't. They did Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Tears for Fears. He's a Tears for Fears super Oh, well, at least Tears for Fears is like a legit band during the day. (laughs) Oh, right. I think think the... There's other people, like, of his age bracket that are Uber Monkeys fans. And I remember... I remember watching the show on Nickelodeon, I think, the... And I liked it when I was a kid, but they never really stuck with me. Yeah. I don't know. It's That's a weird one to me, because I don't... I don't know. It's weird to me. Well, we've, right. per- we've uh, yes. perhaps digressed quite far from. Yeah, I was going to yeah. try and get us wrapped up, and then we 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 took a left turn at Albuquerque. But uh, I want to say thank you guys for joining us tonight. Um, this has been Shad, Brad, and Matt. This has been the Four Corners podcast. We're in three corners. You're in the fourth. Let us know what you think, and we'll see you next time.